everyone. Today I have a very familiar face on the podcast. I'm sure most of you know Steve Breen. Steve has served in missions since 1979, and I'll just let you do the math there. 17 of those years, he served in the missions field directly. Steve has served as the missions pastor at Southeast for 16 years, as well as consulting with mission organizations in that process. In many of the years of serving in missions, he has traveled to over 75 different nations, and a majority of those he served and traveled to multiple times. The way he stewards and invests the resources given to our missions partners is very unique, which he will get into during this episode. He and his wife, Joy, have been married for 35 years. They have two kids and a granddaughter. So welcome to the show, Steve Breen. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for being on my podcast. It's my great pleasure. Uh, Before we get started, I ask the same question to everyone. When did you first know that you wanted to pursue justice work or, you know, in your, in your circumstances, mission work. Sure. Well, uh, it kind of started um, when I was 17. So we go way back into the 70s then. But that's, that's really when I, I got serious about uh, um differentiating Jesus as my Savior, Jesus as my Lord, and if that's the case, I needed to learn how to yield what I wanted to do, because I had a lot of plans, and uh, really sensed at that time um, I needed to be positioning myself to, uh, to be used, and what came to my attention then was just global issues, and um, Biblically, you know, the Bible is based on justice. Everything about the Bible is about God's demand for justice, Christ coming to pay the penalty of my sin to satisfy God's justice, as it were. Um, You hear that spoken a lot of different ways. But it is really a justice issue. And uh, I I, I took a a sailing trip with some friends down to the Virgin Islands, of all things, to get you launched into international. But I started meeting people from different countries— and uh, realize that we really have it pretty good. And there's a whole lot of peoples and a whole lot of places in the world that don't have enough. And so justice really demanded that, uh, that I begin to take that seriously. So that happened in 79 when I started getting serious about it. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about yourself sure. and then uh, sure. you know what your role is at Southeast. Sure. Um, well, I'm a, I'm a husband. Joy and I have been married 35 years, uh, two kids, one granddaughter. So we're pretty excited about uh, that generation that's beginning to arrive. Um, I, have, I came from a good Scandinavian Lutheran family, like uh, most Minnesotans, uh, many Minnesotans, and uh, had always learned about and known about Jesus, but didn't really take him seriously until my mom took me to a Billy Graham deal when I was 12 and I went forward. I went forward with my brother and he doesn't remember going forward. Well, I do. It's kind of like stamped in my mind. Um, And uh, so really I began uh, pursuing the missional world in 79. And so 
Uh, from there, finished my first uh, schooling in 82. They launched me into Mexico. And since then, uh, I've done a couple more Bible schools. Uh, Bible colleges got ordained in the mid-80s. And, uh, and I guess I'm entering into my 44th year of uh, mission work. A lot of different uh, roles. I went all the way from a carpenter to a VP of mission organizations. And uh, then the last 16 years, I guess, here I've been on staff as the missions pastor at Southeast. It's been incredible to work alongside of you and in, in witnessing the way that you kind of filter through different nonprofits that we partner with. Sure. And, and just knowing that, like, the refining process is finding finding nonprofits whose sole mission is yeah. unreached people groups and focusing on discipleship mm-hmm. of those unreached mm-hmm. people. I'm curious, what is that filter that you use to decide on organizations to support? Great question, because it's uh, it's something I find a lot of groups haven't gotten place, and it makes it very difficult to know when to say yes, when to say no. But we've got some clear filters that have to do with alignment. So our focus goal, as you mentioned, is unreached, unengaged people uh, who are growing as and multiplying as disciples. So it's not just the poor, though it is the poor. It is the poor who are growing as disciples. Uh, Pretty clear about the uh, Great Commission. It's, It's great to plant churches and help the poor and feed the hungry and heal the sick. But the mandate is to grow disciples. And so uh, that is a primary alignment piece for us. It also aligns with where our church is going. It's about uh, becoming and growing as and multiplying as uh, disciples. So if an organization isn't about that and they aren't about that amongst the least reached, there's still uh, north of 3 billion people in the world who never heard the gospel. So uh, that's where we focus, and they tend to be in the traditional kind of 1040 window that uh, most missional folks are aware of. And so we've got now 13 partners in that part of the world that we focus uh, on and with and partner with to uh, accomplish those common goals. Mm-hmm. I, you're, you're talking about partners mm-hmm. and I love the people that we support mm-hmm. and, and you get to go to these places and actually sure. boots on the ground. What are you doing and how are you sure. impacting people? Sure. I, this is just such a random question. How many countries have you been to? Uh, you know, it's interesting. I think 72, 73, I think it's 72. Mm-hmm. I've got a couple more. I just, I've just been to eight countries in the last six months, and so um, my math is a little fuzzy in that. So is my body clock, by the way. Of those 72 countries, how many are we currently working in? Well, a couple of our partners work in well over 100 countries, and so uh, I don't, we are particularly... Um, focusing on the Arabian Peninsula. There's seven countries there. North Africa, so a base in Egypt, but it's reaching into other nations in North Africa. Um, We've got a partner who only works amongst the Muslim nations in the world. Uh, So um, 
that's a limited number, and I've only visited their works in Indonesia. Others who work uh, only with native missions, so they don't go in and launch anything new. It's identifying nationals. And then, of course, uh, probably our most uh, uh, significant partner is in the central part of India, and so do a lot of work there. Mm -hmm. I'm probably missing some others right now. (laughs) Um, I want to, we're kind of starting to get in the nitty gritty. I want to keep it up high level. How have you seen missions change from when you started mission work until now? I mean, you've you've been in this world for a really long time. What has that looked like, that process? What are the changes? What's different? Well, if you think back to the 70s, which is hard for you to do, given that you were a twinkle in your daddy's eye, (laughs) um, there was no technology. There was no globalization like there is today. Today, I can be anywhere in the world. I was just looking at one of my next trips, and I can 21 hours be halfway around the world. You couldn't do that as easily uh, back then. Uh, we did not have cell phones. Um, I mean, we still had those dial phones, if uh, people remember those. And uh, and so we had no... Globalization was a big issue. Uh, Urbanization, people were still living in the rural parts of the world. They're now common to the big city centers, which makes them easier to, to reach. And then migration stuff, they're coming to us. So within an hour of us... We've got full-on neighborhoods, as you know, of uh, Iraqis, Afghanis, Nepalese, Burmese. And so the opportunities are way different today. Um, And and therefore, the processes of what missions did and what it can do today are very different. And especially post-pandemic opportunities are very unique to us. So, I I know that, especially in the last year, you've been talking about how the world is starting to change. Mm-hmm. It is starting to shift, and it's starting to look different in the sense of people are coming to know Christ right. in masses. Right. Right. What are you hearing? What are those stories that you're hearing? Share a little bit about that. Well... <sighs> It's, you know, biblically uh, planting, watering, harvesting, but the Lord determines the harvest, we're told. It is clearly harvest season. And amongst certain people groups and religious families particularly, and that would be in Islam. Uh, I was just on the Arabian Peninsula last week, and the numbers of people coming to Christ blew me away. I mean, the numbers I had thought were accurate, turned out to be not accurate. Um, my own experiences, I was in Indonesia back in, I can't remember, July or August, and there was 5,000 Indonesian young people being trained up to reach all of the outlying nations. And they weren't Westerners. They were Muslim background believers who had been trained up, and they were going to give their lives to reach the rest of the nation. Stuff we couldn't do. We weren't, we're not uh, uh, familiar enough with the cultures, the languages, and uh, need to take a year off every three years and come home, et cetera, while they don't. And so, um, yeah, I'm meeting people around the world who 
upon short conversations, want to know more about Jesus. And that has a lot to do with just dissatisfaction <clears throat> globally uh, with Islam right now, too. Mm-hmm. When, I, when I was in seminary, I read a book in my church history class, mm-hmm. and it was about the Western world and the global South. Sure. And how we are going to begin to see a shift in, and we're starting to see that already. Yep. You're starting to see that mm-hmm. already, this shift of people who live in a Western context going to the global South. So mm-hmm. global South, you know, Africa, uh, Asia, mm-hmm. Central and South America, mm-hmm. you know, places where people in, in Western cultures would be like, oh, that's like quote unquote third world sure, countries sure. when in reality we're seeing sure. this shift of yeah. like people from the global yeah. south coming to western yeah. culture yeah. and and western people and evangelizing yeah. like we are now the mission right. fields right we are moving the way of europe we are becoming post-christian and that's kind of a shock and most americans uh, there's a certain pride no we have been the ones who carry the torch and we go out and do what needs to be done globally there is a significant shift happening <clears throat> the largest sending parts and nations of the world are in south america mm-hmm. particularly brazil and southern africa so you look at kind of uh, uganda down south the percentages of christians who are anxious and excited about serving far outweighs what's happening in North America and Europe. So that's actually very exciting. It's kind of, it's kind of sad, you know, about where, where are we going in North America as a culture? Are we pursuing or moving away from focusing on Jesus where it's also celebration. This is the peoples we had for generations been trying to reach who have now, taken on the role of raising up themselves, making disciples of one another, and uh, probably in many ways are better equipped to do what we've been trying to do just because of their uh, flexibilities to blend in where um, that's been a bit more challenging for Western missionaries. While we're talking about kind of the future of what this looks like, what do you think, like in your, in your opinion, what does the future of missions look like, especially for people who live in the context that you sure, and I live in? Sure. That's, that's a great question. I'm in the midst of a lot of discussions about that right now. <clears throat> and it has to do with observing, here again, it goes back to COVID, when all the expats had to leave the nations that were serving in. Um, we didn't know expats didn't know that the nationals were ready to take it on. Nationals didn't know if they were ready to pick up the torch and run with it. Well, we've come to discover that nationals, and that's part of why I've traveled so much here recently, the nationals are rocking it. They are doing things in three years that we hadn't done in 30 or 130 years. Um, uh, Partly because they had been equipped and empowered we weren't sure if we wanted to release them. They didn't know if they wanted to be released. <clears throat> but we've come to see that because the pandemic forced it, it's an amazing thing to see what was intended to kill, still destroy is actually turning into very abundant life, empowered nationals. And so the future really is going to be uh, continuing, needs to be 
It can't be we show back up again and say, hey, we're here again, we'll take over. It's got to be empowering nationals to run with it, to grow disciples amongst their own peoples. And our position, I think, will be shifting more to how can we serve you? Now, we're not just going to send a bunch of happy people over to do VBS, unless you tell us we need a bunch of happy people to come over and run a VBS. But what we want to do is uh, provide specific skill sets, very uh, focused groups that they identify. So the nationals. And um, at a church like ours, we're going to have to grow a database of people with particular skill sets, some really high-ended uh, uh, folk that we've got in the church, others who I was chatting this weekend with a guy and his wife who've been running restaurants, and they wanted to know, could that be useful? And of course it can. So if the nationals identify it, we'll have a database of skill sets, availability. Um, of course, we all learned during COVID, you can do the first meetings on Zoom. And that could turn into seminars. That could turn into some people saying, hey, we want to go over for half a year, whatever it is. But I think it's going to move away from a lot of expats moving their families forever just because we don't need to do that. Mm -hmm. And I honestly wonder if that has been the biblical mandate all along. Sure. Is, hey, we don't we don't actually need to hold your hand like right. you you are sure. you are a very wise person right. and you know exactly what you need to thrive and your you know your people your family yep. you know what they need to thrive yep. so what do you need yeah you know and it's i use the similar kind of example if my son whom i love is 40 years old living in my basement asking what's for dinner, here's my laundry. It doesn't matter how much I love him. If I don't, do not equip him, show him the front door and say, you've got it, and, and help him to become functional in society. So we've been doing that missionary, missionally for decades, probably centuries, where we love people so much that we want to care for them and take care of them. And we trained nations to be dependent, to stand with their hand out, and really robbed a lot of people of an appropriate pride that they can care for their family, they, they can have marketable skills, they can earn an income, uh, and they can actually thrive in their society and help to shape it. Uh, we probably did it with the best of intentions. It's just time to really shift that around. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I don't think what was done was necessarily bad. I right. think there were some really incredible things sure. that came out of what sure. we used to do. Yeah. Wonderful people yeah. with incredible intentions, with a calling from the Lord to go do this work. Yeah. It just is now starting to look. Yeah. Yeah. It's starting to look different. Yeah. The model, the model can no longer be those autobiographies of the Hudson Taylors and fascinating missionaries who did great things two hundred years ago. And and that's hard for some modern day missionaries, missional families, mission organizations to consider that we may need to change substantially. We may need to shift our role in this. While other organizations, some of the ones uh, we're working with, are very excited about this process. And so that's, that's what I want to come along. That's how I want to invest the resources the church gives me to uh, oversee here. And um, it's a learning curve. 
it's not like a light switch. You go and today we're doing it one way where all the funding comes from America and turn off the switch and tomorrow it's all going to come from somewhere else and they're now going to lead. It's more like a dimmer switch and we need to start sliding it up much as my kids in the front door. You know, I didn't just, you're 18, here's the door, bye. Um, you know, there was a, a process of tripping and falling and helping them get up on their own feet and stuff like that. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to kind of switch paces a little okay. bit. What role do you think that the church and the big seat, you know, church at large sure. needs to be playing in missions today? Um, re-education is a big one. Um, we have misunderstood the great commission via our versus the great, great commandment. They're both vital, but Jesus was very clear that the first is the Great Commission, introducing people to the Father, bringing people to the Father. The second is like it, but he's the one who said first and second, second being Great Commandment. And one of the challenges is uh, a lot of folk like to do nice things for people. Great Commandment, love your brother, and it's wonderful and we ought to be doing that. But that's the means to the end. The end is make disciples. So that's a re-educational thing. And um, it kind of removes traditional uh, quote-unquote mission trips that we went for two weeks and we did nice things and play games with kids. And we call it a mission trip. Well, it was a good thing. But a mission trip is actually one that comes along people who are, in fact, growing, identifying, and... uh, replicating disciples, not a service trip, because there's a lot of organizations that have really developed a, the industry of short-term mission trips, which is, let's go down to Haiti or some other location and paint a house that was painted two years ago and two years before that. And uh, that can be more about us and not so much about uh, identifying, releasing disciples. So, So for people who want to get involved in mission work Mm -hmm. how can they get involved what is helpful what's not helpful what do you think sure what traditionally it would be identifying young people uh, college grads and get them while they're young go through a training program and launch you into some kind of opportunity it's going to become and is becoming more about uh, the ones who come to see me they're, they're in their 40s 50s 60s they have done well in business. They want to know how can I be used with my skills to impact and grow the kingdom of God. So it's a very different discussion. Uh, I'm honestly having very, very few young people come and ask about, so how do I get involved in missions? Um, and I think part of what the church has overlooked is, is people with business or marketplace expertise that we've said, come to church, park your brain on the curb, come in, love Jesus, give us your money. And by the way, you can volunteer with the toddlers. Those people, when I have this conversation with them about, you know, your marketplace skills are gifts from God, and they can be used dramatically to impact nations. And if you want, you can help me and ones like myself get in this discussion. We've got partners coming from Egypt in just a couple of weeks, and that's part of the discussion. Help us know how to release our own people to make disciples. 
and in fact, help us know how to grow the resources we need to do that here. There's a lot of wealth in North Africa, Middle East. Um, <clears throat> so I'm having more of those, <clears throat> excuse me, see allergies uh, here, afternoons in Denver. Um, I'm having those kind of discussions with marketplace experts who are thrilled. If you could sit with me and watch the eyes on these men and women who almost in tears can't believe that what they've been doing to earn a living could actually be used for God's purposes. And so it's very exciting. Uh, we're in a transition season, and um, so I'm looking forward to that. All right, we have come to our very last question. Sure. Again, it's the same one that I end every episode with. What is one thing that you want those listening to know? There is much to be done. Uh, we have come a significant way. The beauty of it is we don't know how much is left to be done. A lot of people like to gather stats and say X amount of people, X amount of people groups. Well, we're coming to discover there are people who are learning about this in places we've never gone to because someone's son got a job in the Middle East or someone's daughter went to university in the big city. And while they were there, they went to a Bible study and they learned about Jesus and they brought that home. I think we are closer to completion of the task than we had thought we were. However, we're not done. Um, I would say to people who are listening who are here domestic, U.S., there are people within one hour of you who are mig mig migrants or refugees who have come into our nation, would love to have American friends, would love to know how to do life in America, and come from cultures where hospitality is the chief attribute of who they are. And so we need to kind of remove some of the fear of these other cultures, other peoples, other religions, and discover these people are not Al-Qaeda. These people are not going to, you know, uh, take advantage of us or children. They simply want to have some kind of welcome and fellowship with us. Best opportunity. <clears throat> you don't need a uh, passport, a visa, airfare, immunizations. Discover in your neighborhoods Within an hour of you, you're going to find people who would love for you to come alongside them. And I'll tell you, because my wife and I have been doing this for some time, <clears throat> they will be on Skype tonight telling their family back home. Our friends Skype every night with their family in Iraq, telling them about the experiences they're having in America. And if we can be just a little piece of the good experiences, then the door opens for a conversation. So uh, think small, think near you before you think far away. That's so good. Steve, thank you so much for your time and sharing your knowledge today. My pleasure. Steve has clearly been part of some incredible work around the world for years. If you want to learn more about missions and our mission work that we do here at Southeast, or even just learn more about our mission partners, visit southeastcc.org slash world missions. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Justice for All Podcast. Justice for All is a Southeast podcast.